Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Culture A Gibson Show. It's your host, Culture A, coming at you live from the ATL. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone that tuned into the first episode. Had about 24 people. 24 is enough for me. Glad to have that many people in the double digits coming through, listening to some good esports content. If you want to support, I will have a support link through Anchor FM that you can support through. Support, you know, help the help the show go on. Help it continue. And I'm also going to be putting a link in the description to another place where you can support. It would have been Patreon, but then I heard that Patreon was having a lot of issues. So I couldn't roll with them. Hadn't even started rolling with them yet. And I heard they were having issues with the, the taxing and 5% and other stuff going on from people that use Patreon religiously before this happened. So I'll be putting that down a link. But let's go ahead and talk about a few of the things. You know, I'll, I'll go over... Some quick things we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking CWL Week 1. CWL Call of Duty World League, period. Talking about some of the developments there. Roster changes, games, how it's been played out. How those affected the certain teams that it happened to. And we're talking about Hungry Box and Genesis 6. Going to be talking about the Super Bowl and some of the gaming ads I saw. And what I liked, what I didn't like. And how I think it's going to affect esports. And then also talking about... What the Super Bowl proved about Atlanta and esports, and we'll get into that. That'll be the final topic of this hour one. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. So, Call of Duty World League Week One. All right, before the week even started, we saw a lot of changes, not too many as far as quantity, but a lot as in the quality of the changes with Optic Gaming. I'm gonna address this first the dashy visa issues. And first of all, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how this could have happened, you know, whether it was some of the new immigration laws coming through. I know as a country, we've been dealing with that all over the place. The immigration situation has been tenuous at best, but if you're off the gaming, I mean, this has to get resolved sooner. You can't have the, and this is something I see a lot through all esports. And it perplexes me how teams can't have this situation solved sooner and at least have it on the table and know that it's an issue before before the player has to come in and play. Now, it's obvious that you have to get a work visa and in North America it's hard because then you got to prove to them that whatever you're doing, especially since it's esports and gaming, that it's worth the work visa. And I get all that. I understand all of that. I get it, you know, but there's got to be a way. If you know, you know, like Optic has known for months that you're going to be in the CWL, you know, it's got to be taken care of sooner. You know, this could have been taken care of right after Vegas. Now, I mean, and I trust Hex. I've been following Optic Gaming since 2012. I know this man's a great businessman, a great mind in the space, you know, great guy. So I trust that hopefully he was on top of it and it's not an optic gaming thing. It's a United States immigration thing. But if not, if not, I mean, your team, they're two and one now, played three series in the CWO, but they've been looking shaky and Zuma's been okay as a sub. He's been good, 
But nothing, nothing's going to compare to having Dashy on your squad. We've already seen it so far. The communication issues on S&D, that's, that's something that's going to happen on Search and Destroy. Some of the communication issues they've had about how to push bomb sites, communicating where people are on the map, you know, certain formation that you want to take at the start and what people are comfortable with. But on respawns, it's really shown. Those hard points at Optic, that Optic was dominating. I mean, dominating at Vegas and in the 2Ks online. I mean, Zuma can't make up for that much raw slang talent. It's been recognized. And we all know what Skump said in his tweets that, oh, yeah, you know, it's hard for us to make up for that because someone has to run the Maddox because Dashy was that other Maddox. And now someone has to adjust and you're basically running with four subs and one guy who was used to playing the Max and Karma. And everyone else is either running the ICR, AR, or they're running the SOG. But, but, you got it, you got now, at this point, you just got to roll with it. And they've been making a lot of the late adjustments. You know, the substitution happened almost the day of the first day of Pro League, but you're always seeing the impact. And Zuma's performed admirably. But in that series against Midnight, they just got outslayed. Outslayed and outrotated. And Midnight, everyone already knows they're a good team, team, team-oriented group. They know what they're doing on those rotations. They don't over-challenge. They always wait for help. They know how to push. But that doesn't excuse getting outslayed by them. And yes, Parzalian and Jet Li and Envoy, and especially Brack, that man Brack, Good Slayers. Those kids have a bright future in CWL. But, but, still, you have Crimsix, winningest player in Call of Duty history. You have Scumpy, King Scump. You got TJ Haley, who's no slouch when it comes to slaying out. You have Zuma, who was the MVP of World War II previously, and is no slouch at slaying. You got Karma. And you still can't outslay people. It happened today too. They won the hard point, but it was close. It was hard. With Dashi, that's all easy. It's all easy breezy with Brucey, baby. And like I said, the S and D, the S and D, it's gonna come. It's all right, but they still miss that sniping power, that laser focus that Dashi has. With that sniper's hand to close down lanes and hold down those tight angles and those tight corners. They miss that. They miss it. You can't deny it. I don't think I've seen a search and destroy so far where Optic has run a paladin, has run a sniper rifle. It's been all ARs, all SOGs, knowing to hold down those line of sights reliably to get those one shot, one kills. And that was Dashy right there. That was Dashy. And they're missing it. The adjustment to the max, I mean, now they have Scumpy running it. He seems to be getting a little bit more comfortable with it. So now Zuma can be more comfortable. And that's all you can do is make sure that Zuma is comfortable doing Zuma things as a sub while they wait for Dash to get in. But, I mean, the situation could be looking kind of grim, though, because we don't know when Dash is going to come back. We don't know when these visa issues are going to solve themselves. All right? We just don't. And they haven't played Luminosity yet. Oh, the Luminosity is looking like a whole nother train wreck. I mean, let, we, let's talk about Luminosity for a minute. And what what in the world is going on with this team? When I first came in to, to look at these 
these teams in both divisions, and the question was asked, which division is harder? I said Division A. Off the bat. Or excuse me, no. I said Division A was easier. I said Division B was harder. Because I thought in Division A, Optic and Luminosity, Optic and Luminosity were going to run away with it. I was like, yeah, they, we got these young guns. And obviously no one knew how good Midnight was. Reciprocity's okay. Red Reserve has showed some spark, but they've been inconsistent. And we all thought that coming in in Evil Geniuses too, you know, that's a veteran group of players. But we all thought with the talent that Optic and Luminosity had, they're going to run away with this. Luminosity got 3-0 earlier today. Have won a series yet. Obvious communication issues. And it was brought by the desk, and I'm glad someone did bring this up. How are you going to have a team, and this is what you get. I'm going to say right now, this is what you get for getting rid of J-Cap, as if he was the man, the missing link. And even then, I think it was, it wasn't even he was a missing link. It was just, hey, we have an opportunity to pick up some great players, but we got to dump one person who's going to be. And yeah, the talent looks good at first. On paper, this lineup looks stacked. When you got classic, John, slacked, formal, gunless, on the same team, that looks stacked. But look at look at four of those five players. Four of those five players are quiet as a mouse. On every other team they've been on, they're quiet. Formal doesn't talk much. That's why they called him a robot, even on Optic. Playing with the crim by himself. Because he doesn't talk that much. Gunless can be vocal, but he has never had to lead before. So that's a new adjustment to him. Same with Slacked. Slacked never had to lead before. In fact, now he's the one having to lead entries. He never had to lead entries before. Now he has to adjust to a whole different role. John, the same. John's known to sometimes make call-outs, but he's also quiet, fairly quiet. So you have three to four people who are used to being quiet, used to not having to lead, make call-outs, be vocal. And of course, you, you, you know, it's not a surprise you have communication issues. And that's what this Call of Duty is all about. Black Ops 4, it's all about communication, all about teamwork. Doesn't matter how talented you are, if you can't work as a team, boy, buddy, it's going to be rough for you. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what we're seeing for Luminosity. And it's almost, it's not almost, it's embarrassing with how much talent this team has on their roster. It's embarrassing. Formal called it pathetic after their game today. He said, what's going on is pathetic, and he ain't wrong. He's 100% right. 100% right. We're going to keep moving along, though, with some of these teams, because I really want to dive into this next one. Talking about the 100 Thieves roster changes. And thinking, will this fix their problem? My answer is, maybe. Leaning more toward no. Because the issue wasn't Pharaoh. Certainly wasn't Pharaoh. It was two things. It was communication and Kenny. Communication and Kenny. Now, they did pick up Crowder as head coach, one of the more strategic coaches' minds in the game, probably the best strategic mind in Call of Duty history. I'll go ahead and say that. Replays, been around for a long time. Everyone knows this. Priesta, one of the best up-and-comers, one of the, I mean, arguably... One of the best, if not the best player outside of Dashi. They're both connected for one and two in Call of Duty right now as far as just sheer potential and talent. One and two. 
But if you look at the numbers from the from the Pro League qualifiers, and yes, Farrow didn't put up the best numbers. 64th in response, 56th in S&D with 20% of his team deaths. Not the best, you know. Still better than the rest of the pack, but I mean, when you're on 100 Thieves and you're used to the success that they were supposed to have after World War II and how good Kenny was, how good this squad was, which basically is the old TK, most of the old TK, put onto this squad. When you look at this, they're supposed to be better than this, but again, my point, it's not Pharaoh. Because if you look at Kenny's numbers from the same Pro League qualifier, the same competition, 95th in respawn, 110th in search and destroy. The only number he had better than Pharaoh was he only had 19% of his team's deaths, but that's still not good. Let me read those again. 95th in respawn with a .92 KD and 110th in S&D with .79. And guess what? Guess what the excuse from 100 Thieves was for why they sent Pharaoh away to the bench and didn't force Kenny, put him on the hot seat. Their excuse is that Kenny didn't want to run the SOG. He never liked running the SOG. So he wants to run the Maddox. And we're going to hope that him running the Maddox improves his play because he doesn't like running SOG. How are you as a main sub player from World War II from previous titles not going to be able to be good at one of the best submachine guns in the current title. The best submachine gun in the current title. How? And I don't understand where Kenny gets special privilege when everybody else that was a main sub from World War II had to learn to run, run the SOG just fine the same way he should have. And there haven't been many adjustments. As far as the players, porting players from World War II over to Black Ops 4, haven't been many adjustments. You haven't seen many players make a, a drastic swap to the Maddox or to the ICR over the SOG that were sub-players from World War II. You know why? Because they understand that that's their job. That's what they're known for. That's how they made their bread in the league. And they need to be good at it again. Because there are other players who made their bread as ICRs, as Maddoxes, as AR players that are better than them. And that at this juncture, changing this probably isn't the best idea. The only thing that he has going for him, for Kenny, is that he has plenty of time to try and adjust in scrims and other things. He has time to try and learn. However, that's just a small bit of the problem. The bigger problem was communication. The bigger problem was that 100 Thieves were just hoping throughout that Pro League qualifier they'd be able to out-talent the teams they are playing. And that's exactly what happened. Barely. They barely out-talented their way into qualifying for the Pro League. You look at their numbers, they were only above 500, and I believe it was control. Only in control. 15-11 overall series and map score. Series score, I believe. That doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it when you're this team. When you have Slasher and Enable and Kenny and Rip Farrow on this team. It just doesn't. And I believe Octane as well. It just doesn't cut it. And part of it was Kenny, but most of it is the way that they played the game. There was no teamwork in that PLQ from them. It was all hoping that since Kenny wasn't going to perform, that Enable would be able to get it done. That Slasher would be able to get it done. That Octane would have some key moments, some star moments to be able to get it done. And for the most part, they did. 
And thank God, because otherwise 100 Thieves would be on the outside looking in. Probably would have had G2 in here playing. Probably would have had uh, Tainted Minds possibly in here playing. It was close. But if they really want to perform and not get knocked out and actually have a good 2019, they got to fix that. It can't be all individual. They have to get some sort of communication. Figure out how to make callouts, rotations, get a shot caller. Whatever you got to do to fix it, fix it. And the good news is they picked up Crowder to do that. Like I said, one of the best strategic minds in the game. One of the best. If anyone could do it, he can. If not, then they need to make some player changes or maybe start Crowder. Start replays off the bench on loan. Or put Farrell back in. Or both. But Kenny's definitely going to be on the hot seat and he will be flayed by flayed by this community. If he doesn't come alive after he makes this sweep, or switch to the Maddox. If he doesn't start beaming people after about three to four weeks of practice, three to four weeks plus of practice at this point, and starts beaming, he will get flayed alive by this community because he was the one who was the problem at the PLQs. If anything, not Pharaoh. But the team felt that Kenny needed to stick on because he's Kenny, the prodigy, the TK kid from World War II. So that's that. And now let's talk some other people that got dropped, moved on when they might not should have. Today might have proved some of the haters wrong for UIU. Because Nameless pointed this out. UIU dropping spoof for methods. And look, hey, 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 I, I know I know it's a business. I know it's all a business. I know that, you know, you got to do what's best for your team to win. You gotta, you gotta do what's best for the squad. What's best? What you think gives you the clearest path to victory? That's why the Falcons just dropped Matt Bryant, one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL. They just dropped him like a hot rock. And Robert Alford. That's why business decisions are made every time that would surprise you in any facet of life because it's all a business decision. But this will be a organization that gets flayed alive if this move doesn't work. This needs to work. Because Spoof, this man's been grinding in the amateur scene for the longest time. Help bring this team together. And for them to drop him like a hot potato, it's straight disrespectful. It's straight disrespectful that they would have the audacity to do this to this man. And yes, the numbers don't, don't lie. Methods had a better PLQ. 41st in KD for respawns with 1.06. 44th in S&D. Spoofs was 77th and 86th. But Lord knows, you gotta at least give him a chance. You know, he's on the bench right now. It's not like he's gone. He's on the bench, but you gotta at least give him a chance. And then bring in methods if thing if you go 0203 week one. Because week one doesn't matter. Week one is week one. You know, you gotta you have a whole year to figure things out. And so they sit spoof down and put in methods. And after the first day, I didn't think it was going to pay off because they looked out of sync. 
And, you know, again, another somewhat last-minute change, bringing him in, you know, out of the blue. But excuses are excuses. You did this for a reason. Last-minute changes can't be the reason why. Just like I won't give Optic the benefit of last-minute changes for the reason why they dropped their first series. And each series after that has looked like a struggle after another struggle. And it's starting to get better. But that 3-0 was still, and I hate saying this, but it was, it still was a close 3-0. The only real good part about that 3-0 that looked good was the control. That control on gridlock. And UIU is in the same spot. They won today, but they got a heavily struggling luminosity. And I shudder to wonder how they're going to play if they're not playing teams that are struggling. I can see them taking wins off of maybe reciprocity maybe off of red reserve on a bad day not off of midnight and not off of eg certainly now off of luminosity but if luminosity figures things out then uiu is my number one for being the bottom of the table contending with reciprocity probably for the bottom of the table in division a the methods change doesn't change anything. Yes, they needed more slaying. Sure, anyone, I mean, methods has earned his merit as a slayer. From his days at FaZe, at Rise, he earned that reputation. Doesn't excuse the move. Doesn't excuse it. Doesn't excuse the disrespect you put on Spoof's name by putting him in that position. And the only way that I think people will back off of this is if Spoof comes out himself and says, hey, I decided to do this. It was not my team doing this without my knowledge. I said, hey, we need to make this change. We need to do this. And I'm willing to take that fall. I'm willing to fall on that sword. But I highly doubt that's going to happen. I highly doubt it. But other than that, there weren't too many other roster moves that went on in Call of Duty. None that were extremely significant or that were that noteworthy, I will say. And so far... The week one has somewhat proven very interesting the way that things have played out. I don't think anyone saw Midnight coming out the way they did and playing this clean of Call of Duty. They just have such a good understanding of how this game is supposed to be played coming in this early. And every other team is just trying to play catch up with them. Every other team is trying to play catch up with how they play the game right now so far. We're going to move on. We're going to move on to... Talking about a little bit of the fighting games, a little bit about the fighting game scene. Genesis 6 happened this past this past weekend. Genesis 6. And guess who took home? Smash Melee Champion. It was your boy, Liquid Hungry Box. But what I really want to talk about, although congratulations to the victory, got recognized that victory. Getting that dub, I mean, it's important. I believe that's his second dub of the row in Smash Melee. This year alone, the year just started. As far as Smash events go. And already getting those early dubs. Just showing his dominance right now in the scene. But. I want to address what happened. With the rampant toxicity that he had to face. During his run. Now let me get this straight. Let me, and let me get this straight alright. Hungrybox. He's been the one painting himself as a villain. For the past however long. You know, that's been his persona as the villain of Smash Melee. That's what he's been trying to, you know, that's just his thing. And in any other regular circumstance, a villain does three things 
for esports for any community that are positive things. It builds storylines for events because he's the final boss and everyone wants to beat him. And, you know, everyone has bad things to say about him. They don't like him. It just hypes up each matchup, especially any rivalries because it's like light versus dark, dark all the time, you know, metaphorically speaking. It adds flavor to your esport because who, who doesn't love love a good villain? You know, we got Tom Brady in football. Bryce Harper, we have him in baseball. G2 Esports, their entire League of Legends team is the villain of Europe. And they own that. They own it. And it brings viewership to your esport because people want to see that. People want to see that villain. It's the enticing thing of, will he fail this time? Who will be the first to take down the final boss? Who will be the first to take out Liquid Hungry Boss, that dastardly devil? And then finally, it raises the level of competition because everyone's racing to beat that devil. Everyone's racing to be that guy, that savior that beats that beats the devil, that beats Liquid Hungry Box. Those are the three things it does. And for the most part, the track record of a villain being in an esport has been successful. I have not seen a single time where a major esport has attempted to make a villain and that marketing tactic, that marketing ploy fails and doesn't work. And the viewer, the viewership during his matches proved this, you know, hitting 160,000 viewers at one point. And that was before the finals for Hungry Box's matches. That's what it did. That's what it did. That's what it's always going to do. So it's a good strategy by him and by Melee. But, however, what happened during his matches was absolutely disgusting, despicable, unconscionable, and should not be allowed in any esports setting. Because all the while this man is trying to play his best, still trying to play the game that he loves and has all his passion for. And yes, he's the villain. But let's not forget that he's doing this because he loves this game and likes to enjoy it on top of making a bundle of cash. He's having people, the entire crowd in the theater, yell expletives to him. F you. And not the censored version. The whole crowd chanting every single one of his games doing that. Now, that's disgusting, ladies and gentlemen. That is disgusting. It's disgusting that the crowd condone it. It's disgusting that the community even has the 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 gall, the unmitigated, unmitigated gall, and the heart to do that to somebody that competes in their space, that, that gives them their blood, sweat, and tears to compete for them. It's disgusting that G6, that Genesis 6 people run a tournament, would allow this to happen. It's a disgrace to the game. It's a disgrace to the organization. It's a disgrace to the fighting game community that they would allow this to happen at one of their events and for it to be sustained during all this man, almost all this man's matches to be sustained. And, you know, some people, they want to say that, you know, villains, they, they deal with something similar. You know, they all, 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 you know, he put himself in that situation. He did this to himself. That's, that's, he signed up for this job when he decided to become the villain. Just like Brady and Harper and G2 did. However, on all three of those points, esports stages, outside of sports stages, if we compare them to sports and how they're played in the stadiums, esports, especially in the fighting game community, is more grassroots and more intimate. And in League of Legends, you never hear people in the crowd saying that because League of Legends, Riot Games, the LCS organizations that run the broadcast would not allow that. They wouldn't allow it. They would not allow harassment on their stage, in their venue. It's unspeakable. It's almost a crime there. All right? 
So the fact they allow this in this holy, intimate space to continue to the point where he had to get extra help from his support system. And he said he was stressed out all weekend that this was happening. And, you know, at times he wanted to cry and he, you know, didn't know how to handle this. And if he didn't have people around him, he would have broken and almost broke him. It's ridiculous because that effect is amplified a thousand times over. Having someone yell, F you, Bryce Harper, F you, Tom Brady, F you, LeBron James from a crowd of about 17, 18 plus thousand people that are all yelling stuff and it's loud. It's way less intimate and it's easy for LeBron and Tom Brady and Bryce Harper to ignore them because it's way less intimate than it is for Hungry Box to sit there in a packed theater to ignore that. A packed, intimate theater to ignore that. And that's unconscionable. You know what? The greater point is that this is why fighting games will never really go mainstream like people want them to. I actually saw some tweets earlier today about people asking why won't fighting games get the marketing sponsorship that that people think it should get. The, 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 view, the broadcast deals, the big sponsors, the big names coming out to put the names behind it, the packages, scuff gaming, all that stuff. Why, why can't we get this? Where is our help? And you know why it's not coming? Because I can tell you for a fact that brands do not want to be associated with that. You did not help yourselves with what happened at Genesis 6 and what you did to Hungrybox. You did not help at all. Because the one thing that brands like to see and why the LCS gets backing and even Call of Duty gets some backing and other things is, yeah, they're shooters. Yeah, people die. Blah, blah, blah. But it's easily marketable to the new esports fan, to the non-endemic fan, because the first thing that they see when they tune into the LCS isn't people yelling F you to one of their players. In an intimate space, the fact where it looks like the player is about to break. Or it looks like they're picking on this one guy. You'll never see that in any other esport. At any other major. Any other event, you'll never see that. And if it is, there's an immediate apology. And the community does not condone that. At all. And I get that outward facing after it happened. On Twitter and other social medias, people spoke out on his behalf and said, this is disgusting, this shouldn't happen, oh my god, I can't believe this. But it shouldn't happen in the first place, on live broadcast. So if you want if you want to blame anybody, you blame your own community, and you blame Genesis 6 and the people broadcasting the tournament for allowing it to happen on broadcast in the first place and not having some sort of rules in place to make sure that harassment was not tolerated in that sacred space during the competition. You can do it on Twitter and social media all you want, but don't do it there. And brands don't want to be associated with that because that turns off non-endemic viewers when they turn into that, tune into that. Because they don't see that for their regular sporting events because you can't hear it. There's only been one other time in the history of sports that I've heard that before. Now it's on a baseball game. Now it was for Bryce Harper. And immediately the stadium, the, the stadium, the, the, the nationals, and the opponent the stadium that he was playing at immediately told the people in, inside the stadium to stop. They said, stop doing that. We don't do that here. You recognize the space you're in, and you respect it, and you respect that player who's putting his blood, sweat, and tears, his heart out there on the line for you to watch for your enjoyment. And the fighting game community barely gets any pay out of their winnings anyways. When they do win, it's not like it's a ton. And to get treated like that is absolutely disgusting. And that's why no one invests in you, fighting game community. That's why no one backs you fighting game community 
except for yourselves and why I will always stay grassroots unless y'all change. That is why. Gonna go ahead and move on though. Gonna talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. The most boring Super Bowl in history. Excuse me while I take a drink. Yes, the most boring Super Bowl in Super Bowl history, I have to say. The commercials, for the most part, were bad. The halftime show was atrocious. Big Boy saved it. I like the way you move. Yeah, all that. That saved it because Amavine looked like he had just drugged himself out before he came up on that stage to be able to deal with it and get on and get off the stage. And you couldn't hear Travis Scott because the sound guy didn't know how to manage his sound levels and volume levels. So, yeah. And the game was bad. And God bless Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Because they did their best. But that game was horrible. But I'm not here to talk about the game, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not here to talk about the game. I'm here to talk about the NFL 100 Ninja commercial and the Microsoft commercial about how how esports impacts not esports but how gaming impacts those with disabilities and i have to say that i loved both of them i will have to hit the nfl on calling ninja a gaming master cuz i recognize greatness game recognize game ninja's good at what he does he's a good entertainer he's good entertainer Good streamer, good personality, good face, good at Fortnite and other battle royales. Was good at Halo in his day. But, however, you can't call him a gaming master. And not because to say, oh, he doesn't play every single game and be nitpicky. But you got to think about the audience you're trying to appeal to. And while your non-endemic brand people will think, oh, yeah, I've seen that ninja guy. He must be a gaming master. I've seen him at Madison Square Garden. In my opinion... It makes the endemic esports people hostile to your non-endemic crowd because they see what they see is people that don't understand the space they're trying to get into. They they now might think, and I think it's a big might, may think that the NFL doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to esports and recognizing brands and talents, and therefore their crowd coming in won't. And there will be that inbred hostility toward the new people coming in and just like we talked about in the last conversation, non-endemics don't like that type of toxicity and they'll immediately bow out when they get that, that clap back. You'll get the memes, oh, what games does Ninja play? Oh, is he really a gaming master? Well, what does he, you know, all that good stuff that us esports types like to throw at people when we want to seem holier than now because that's what we do, we're gamers, that's just a part of the scene, might get thrown at those new people trying to watch and trying to get more intimate with it. But that's a small little gripe of mine. Overall, though, I was happy. I was ecstatic, elated to see gaming put in a positive light. The Ninja commercial did it, and that Microsoft commercial definitely did it. It was lighthearted. It showed gaming's true nature as a way to branch out and meet others and socialize and make connections and be able to do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do because I'm either too busy to go out and have a social life or I'm too socially awkward and I just don't I don't like talking to people, introverts, 
even your introverted extroverts, extroverted introverts, or you just have some sort of mental disability, or as in that commercial, a physical disability that prevents you from interacting with people like normal people outside do. The type of people that like to tell gamers to go outside and play with friends and all this other stuff, but don't consider the type of lives that each individual person leads. And that could be a whole other conversation about ethics and, you know, utilitarianism and considering the whole person and not just certain aspects of the person. But we won't get into all that because I could talk for days on that. I just I'm taking a class on that in school right now. But that's what it did was it showed the true nature of gaming to all those people that thought it was just violent video games. And you can tell that little boy and those little people in that commercial, not to say the little people was in dwarfism, but little people is in, you know, their kids. That's why I call, that's why I call my cousins and other children that I know and, you know, I won't say take care of, but I know from church and other places that I interact with, I guess, is, you know, little man, little people. Show that it's more than just that. And you could tell that they were playing shooters. You know, you'll need a headset for Madden or for 2K unless you want to talk trash. Probably playing Fortnite. But all of them go into that realm of when people try and say violent video games. And now this shows everybody out there, the non-endemic audiences that are watching the game. The parents, the policymakers, the teachers, the authority figures that video games only is mainstream but it can contribute positively to society. And that hopefully that buzzword of violent video games is going to start fading away after commercials like that. And hopefully we'll see more of those. Because that's the big buzzword that keeps video games from going mainstream, mainstream. Not just in certain regions, but globally, worldwide, Olympics, and other venues and areas like god forbid the ncaa is when people say violent video games we can't endorse violent video games because of this or that statistic that has already been disproven and is invalid but they like to use it anyways because it gets some taxpayer dollars or get some money from other investors and parents that say well good riddance thank you i don't want that in my son's education in my in their life yada 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 blah 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 we can now shove that out the door with a broom thank you Thank you very much. But now I'm going to go ahead and move on to the final topic of this first hour. And that's talking more locally about how Atlanta and hosting the Super Bowl has now not only taught us, it's proven to us that Atlanta has the ability to host a major esports event. And I'm not talking the DreamHack conventions because that's a convention with an amalgamation of games inside of it. CWL Atlanta was nice, but it's not a major esport event. You don't see 100,000 plus or more, close to 500, half a million people coming to town for a CWL Atlanta event. CWL event. And E-League is here. That's a league. It has it in the name. It's a league. And most of the time they hold their events, it's not here in Atlanta. Maybe they have some group stages here in Atlanta, but usually they move to another venue that's not in the city. Or it's an invitational in that small studio. It ain't like you have 500, again, half a million people coming out to watch an E-League invitational in live person. I'm talking about the IEMs, the Boston Majors, the World Championships, and how we can host those. And you know why? 
I got four reasons why. All right, I got four reasons. Here we go. First of all, we proved that we can handle the foot traffic and the vehicle traffic. I'll tell you, as an Atlanta native, as someone has to deal with the traffic every single day going in that city, I expect it to be helter-skelter. I expect it to be utter chaos and mayhem. We already have at least three accidents per day. I expect that to triple to nine, ten accidents a day with the traffic coming in. Let me tell you, it was near non-existent. In fact, I believe that week, traffic worked out better than it has in a long time in Atlanta because they're trying to make it work out for people coming into the city. And I'm not, this isn't to say that, no, it wasn't light. There weren't people there, you know. Yeah, they were like, oh, there's no Rams fans. It's all Boston people. But let me tell you, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leading up to the Super Bowl, all Super Bowl week at nighttime, night events, them streets were packed. People packed. You could tell it was Super Bowl traffic coming through for the parties and the events and Shaq's Fun House and the concerts, all right? And I felt like traffic worked better in that environment than it has on a regular day in Atlanta. So that shows you that we can deal with the foot traffic and the vehicle traffic of 100 to 500,000 people coming through for a major esports event. The next thing is we proved that our infrastructure and housing could deal with 100 to 500,000 people for a week-long basis. I didn't see any reviews of people getting stuck in terrible Airbnbs and bad hotels and the city couldn't handle it and my room got canceled and all the hotels were booked and blah, 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 yada, yada, things that turn people off to trying to attend and that the city was hard to navigate. Atlanta got rave reviews. Not only did they get rave reviews for that, they got rave reviews for the fact that we were able to provide entertainment for all those people. As if we wouldn't be able to. We're the, Atlanta, we're the entertainment capital of the world, people. Hello. This is what we do. We do movies, TV, music, sports. It's a thing here now. All right. And we prove we could do that. Not only could we house them, we could entertain them. Rave reviews. Rave reviews. About how Atlanta entertained its guests. I'm proud as an Atlanta native. To know this. To know that we were able to pull it off. Finally, the last thing. Is that we proved that our stadiums and their facilities and staff can handle that job. And that we have the security to properly manage these events. And especially the security thing, ladies and gentlemen. Because a big thing in esports right now is how good security. Especially, God bless, after the Madden incident in Jacksonville. And our security handled it seamlessly. I didn't hear any reports of people getting robbed. No major news network reports. People getting robbed and things stolen. And, you know, people getting gypped and human trafficking. And it's coming from a place that is arguably one of the top five human trafficking places in North America. And that was one thing they prioritized. And nothing went down. In fact, they had a sting of a human trafficking operation right before. So he showed you how serious they were about that topic. All right. And then the Mercedes-Benz faculties, facilities were able to hold these people as well as the other places where we had to host them in other venues and other spaces around the city were able to hold them and satisfy them. The staff did their job. I had a friend to work on the volunteer staff for the Super Bowl. Staff did their job. No complaints about customer service. All right. 
None of that. And again, the security came through. And that's why, that's why Atlanta can do this. We can hold, host a world championship. Come on, League of Legends, bring through. Next time North America's coming through, bring it through. Either for an NALCS championship, or I guess you call it an LCS championship now, or for a world part of the world's tour when it comes back to North America, bring it through. CSGO, bring a major here. We'd be glad to have you. I know Overwatch is already bringing over their next thing. They're, some of their first home games are coming to Atlanta, and that'll be the first test, but I believe we can handle it. I have full confidence that we can handle it. So they're bringing that through. And I want more. We deserve more. We need more here in Atlanta. And I think we can get it done. But that's going to be it for this first hour here of the Culture A Gibson Show. Again, here with Culture A. If you'd like to support, please hit the supporter link on anchor.fm on my page, Culture A Gibson Show. Or hit the link below. Again, I'll have that set up and ready by the time this episode releases. And look out for hour two. Gonna have a compelling interview for hour two coming up. So listen out for it. Thank you for listening. Talk to you later. Or I'll say, thank you for listening.